2: Av podcast Raider Power. Uh,
0: my name is Kangushi. I'm 29 years old and I'm the driver of the Greddy Racing SR by Toyota Nexen Tires 86. I believe that was long.
2: <laughs> no, that's perfect. It's
0: just hard to say
2: all those things. Um,
0: so, tell us where we are. Uh, we're here at my headquarters, uh, Grady Racing, or GPP, Grady Performance Products. Uh, this is essentially where everything happens. Our car build, car maintenance, uh, repairs, even R&D for GPP. It, it all comes out of our shop back there. Um, we also have a showroom here for Boost Brigade, which is our apparel line that we just recently launched. Um, it's an apparel line that caters to you know automotive fans and also a lifestyle side of gritty Racing. So we want to be active in a lifestyle segment of the market and uh, where we have gritty Racing for you know hardcore racers, car enthusiasts. We also have Boost Brigade for those who are more into lifestyle.
2: All right. So um, I've sat down, tried to, I'm trying to get to know you, like mm-hmm. really getting to know you. Like, um, so I want you to, Like, go back as far as you can. uh, It's going to be a long talk. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. We have have time. Um, So, like today, you are a professional race car driver. You do commercial work and Mm -hmm. you do all these things. But I'm assuming it's been a a long way to get here.
0: It has been. Uh, Like I said, I'm 29 years old. I've been professionally driving since I was 14. But the first time I got behind the wheel was when I was 8. And uh, my father owns a repair shop, or my family business is a repair shop, general repair. But uh, when I was eight, or as far as I can remember, I've always wanted to drive a car. I wanted to be, my original dream was to be a pilot and operate machinery. And the first time I got behind the wheel at the age of eight, it was actually at my dad's shop uh, back when I was in San Gabriel and uh, got behind the wheel of a customer's stick shift and did a fat burnout in the parking lot, <laughs> and uh, my dad was okay with it. He's always supported my love of cars, and um, yeah, When I was thirteen, uh, we were watching a lot of Initial D, but prior to that, I didn't really care much about drifting. Um, although drifting was around in Japan, uh, my big love of cars was actually with like you know Nissan GTR, Supra, NSX, the high horsepower um, Japanese JDM market. And um, I watched a lot of option videos where they have, you know, 800, 900 horsepower GTRs just wrecking the streets of Japan and doing fat burnouts and going 210 miles an hour on the highway. So I always dreamed about being in something fast. And that's kind of why I always wanted to be a pilot was because, you know, if you're in an airplane, going 300, 400, 500 miles an hour is normal. Uh, However, when I was 13, you know, my love for drifting came because both my father and I were really into initial D. And um, it was just amazing to see the story of an underpowered Corolla AE86 taking on the names of like, you know, Skyline GTR, uh, Lancer Evolutions, and all these crazy high horsepower cars. Because my love for 32 GTR was still there, I was like, there's no way a Corolla can beat a GTR. Um, and that's kind of when I started to really get into the Corollas and drifting. And uh, at the time, at the shop, at my shop, we had a mechanic who was into off-roading, and uh, he knew of this place called El Tor- El, not El, Toro, El Mirage. It's about an hour and a half north from Los Angeles, between Los Angeles and Vegas. There's a wide-open uh, dry lake bed where they film a lot of commercials. And he was like, "Hey, you know, like if you want to drive off the streets and just get behind the wheel, we should go there." So my dad picked up a Corolla, and um, we went there, and it was like heaven. There was nothing to crash into. It was just small plants here and there but it's just wide open and I drove endlessly for hours almost every weekend for like about two years every weekend we would go there uh, I would get my hours in behind the wheel kind of fine-tune my driving and uh, you know just sliding around one corner here and there was like the greatest feeling in the world but I would stay in the car for you know, two hours straight in the middle of the desert and dry lake bed, just um, getting dusty, dirty. And every time we went home, uh, it was my job to wash off all the dust. And so at the time I lived literally steps away from a police station and we'd come home with a super messy Corolla and, you know, they go in and out of the police station. They stop like, what do you guys do that makes you guys drive home with such dirty cars as I was washing the dirt off? Like, oh, you know, we just go to the desert and do some off-roading Did I get in a Corolla. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where I started drifting. It was in a dry lake bed when I was 13 in a A86. And at the same time, my love for Toyota vehicles grew. So anything from Corollas, Supras, uh, Mark II, Chaser, Cresta, even you know the X Ax- Axion, like small sedans, front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, anything MR2s. Just Toyota was life. Uh, when I was 14 we started to watch more drifting videos like street drifting videos from japan I'm like oh man street drifting is so cool and I was all about that life like you know d1 was still fairly new uh, there was no formula d yet but street drifting videos were like this shit when i was young and we would just watch it endlessly during the week with my dad and uh i started to notice a lot more varieties in the sport drifting so s13 uh, s14 like I said, the Chaser, Mark 2, all those different types of vehicles that were drifting. Um, and I told my dad, hey, you know, let's, let's try something different other than a Toyota. So we picked up a 1993 240SX, which is the Sylvia in Japan. But um, I decided to learn how to work on the car a little bit more. And I did pretty much all the work on that car. I did a SR20 engine swap, uh, trashed a K24 because it was garbage. <laughs> and... uh at the same time, this group called Club 4 AG, held by Moto, they started to organize you know, really small, tightly knit communities of uh, Corolla lovers and do drifting events in a parking lot of Irwindale Speedway. This was way before Irwindale had opened up the inside banking for drifting. We used to do it on the parking lot, set up cones, and uh, maybe half of us, 10, 15 of us, would go there and start drifting. But, you know, we were all spinning out everywhere and just having a great time. There's no crowd. The only crowd we had was the guy. The the traffic would park on the side because they noticed a lot of ruckus, chaos going on. they park on the side of the street and kind of, like, look over the fence and be like, what are they doing? They're just, like, going around in circles and wasting tire. And, you know, I'm sure they thought, if they're trying to autocross, that's a really bad autocross job. But, yeah, essentially those guys were the ones that really kick-started my uh love of driving against people, with people, was on Club 4AG and Drift Association. And at the time, there was Taka Ono. Uh, he was there, Hiro Sumida, Alex Pfeiffer, uh, Andy Yen, who's a current judge in Formula Drift. All these uh, OG guys were the ones that really put these small events together. And um, that was around the time when D1 was getting even bigger in Japan and they wanted to do uh, D1USA. So my father and I both prepared the S13 for a little bit more power, uh, better footwork, suspension work, better tires, and decided to compete in the first ever D1 driver search. And this was back in 2003.
2: That is way back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so
0: were, you, were you
2: like a, obviously you you to school and everything. Were you, like a, were you like a good kid in school? Or were you like this, this bad kid who was all about just doing burnouts and doing crazy
0: stuff? No. Uh, I mean if I can think back, I think I remember being a good student um all throughout middle school or elementary school middle school uh, I was uh, you know i I did a lot of studying i I tried to focus on schoolwork and make sure that I had a bright future ahead of me. If you ask me you know twenty years ago, like can you see yourself where you are today twenty years ago, I'd say hell no i I wouldn't not have thought that I'd be pro driver but yeah, I think for the most part I was a good student up until high school, and I kind of started to slack off a little bit because you know I always wanted to just go out and drive and so so um, you know, even in class I would just draw pictures of cars and and you know like bring car magazines because we didn't have smartphones back then we couldn't go on the internet so there was no way we could cheat on tests unless you wrote the answers on the back of a water bottle and put the water bottle on top, but. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, as much as I remember high school, I was all about cars and driving. But so you weren't, like, like, you didn't aspire to have a
2: 9-to-5 job. Like, that's not what you were aiming for?
0: This was even before I thought about having or what kind of job I was thinking. So in high school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my career. Um, I didn't know in which direction I wanted to go. I just knew that I loved cars. I loved driving, and that's it. I, mean, I never thought about my future. In college, I did study business administration and economics. If you ask me for what, I wouldn't know. It was just <laughs> something that I kind of just landed upon. Yeah, throughout high school, my dad would take me to you know El Mirage, and we would do a lot of driving. So that's where my mind was, pretty much for the whole all four years of high school was driving, driving, and driving.
2: Sounds like your your dad, uh, especially, were very supportive of you doing all this. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. It's actually not until when I first got picked up for a sponsorship, where my mom came into the picture and started to support me. Till then, she didn't really know what was going on. She didn't really care what I was doing. Um, She never would have thought that I would be here today either. But my dad always believed that, you know, there, there could be something special going on where I was 13 years old, causing ruckus in the middle of the desert, drifting around plants and stuff. So he knew that it could be a way into motorsports, especially since, you know, Club 4G was bringing their events. Uh, D1 was having their driver search. So when D1 had their first driver search in 2003, I actually finished in the top three and I was still underage. I was oh, wow. 14 years old or 14 or 15 years old. And that was when the boom happened. After that driver search was when all the companies decided to really look into drifting and see that it was... Uh, there was a great opportunity ahead in, you know in years to come with the sport of drifting. My S13 and myself both got sponsored for the first time by a local brake company called Rotora. And uh, they funded our build. It was a two-car team, so it was myself and Ernie Fixmer. Now, Ernie used to be a Formula T judge, too, back in the day. But before he was a judge, he was also a driver in the same team as I. And he had a 13 hatchback with the S15 front end, you know, high horsepower SR engine. I had my S13 uh, with 180 headlights. So it was still pop-up headlights. We called it the Onevia. And uh, yeah, that was kind of where uh, my pro career started when I was 15 years old with uh, Rotora and a lot of sponsors here and there.
2: So was S13 the car to, to have at that point?
0: Um, I mean, the only reason why I had it was because you know, it's, it was cheap. Um, we didn't have Chasers, Crestas, or we still don't have Chasers, Crestas, and a lot of the other cool JDM vehicles here. So my choices were very limited. But the S-13 that we built was extremely easy to drive. It was all bolt-on parts. And it was the car that I really learned how to operate a machine and then everything. I mean, I did all the work myself with the assistance of my dad. And... Uh, learned how to really sharpen my driving skills
2: on that. So what was the, the first event after the D1 search? What was the first like serious, serious event or even serious, series, like the...
0: Well, after the driver search was D1 Grand Prix. So D1 USA came, uh, I competed in that, ended up wrecking my car. I came off the bank at Irwindale through the transition. And after the transition, I spun, took it backwards into the wall, and uh, totaled my S13. So that was the end of that car. Um, that was my favorite. It started off as a Champagne uh, 240SX, but we painted it white with all the graphics. Wrecked that car, and immediately my father found another shell. as was a black coupe, uh, transferred all the parts over, and uh, Formula Drift came into the picture. So 2004 was when we first had our full Formula Drift series. Uh, it was four rounds, started off in Atlanta, and that first round the first ever Formula Drift, I qualified first, but we didn't have a top 32 back then. It was qualifying straight to top 16. So in the first round of top 16, they didn't tell us that at this turn one, or turn uh, 10A is where Road Atlanta is. The same first turn at rode Atlanta, uh, but before the turn, they set up fireworks. They didn't tell any of the drivers, but because I qualified first, I was the first battle up. Right when I pitched the car sideways, boom fireworks came up i was like oh my god what the fuck was that and i thought my car broke so i just immediately got on the brakes went off course and that was the end
2: oh wow so
0: pissed that it was you know something so unordinary um, that took us out but that just you know essentially fueled the fire um, fueled the drive that i had for uh, wanting to win and immediately the week after we had an Uh, a month after, I think, we had an event in Laguna Seca. It was a Yokohama Invitational Drift competition. Uh, They brought one Japanese driver over, Hayashida, for Team RSR in Yokohama. And uh, with the same S13 that I had, with the likes of Reese Millen, Alex Pfeiffer, and other drivers, uh, we ended up winning. So, it was a great feeling, you know, winning my first ever event with a lot of pro drivers. And, uh, yeah, we went to the next round of Formula Drift. Oh, I think it was Texas. Can't remember, but uh, ended up placing second place, right behind uh, Sam Hubenet. Oh wow! Yeah, and he was in his Viper. Now we were starting to see a lot more interest in drifting. You know, bigger names like Reese Millen, Sam uh Daijiro Yoshihara. Yeah, S thirteen. We ran. We campaigned for a year, and then I got picked up by Ford Racing.
2: So, so um, I just want to. I don't want to leave this S thirteen year because. It was the first season of FD, like, how was it actually competing and, and, like, what was the competition like? First of all, meeting all these drivers who were those big names already back then, um, and you as a privateer then. Yeah. Uh, like, how, how was it competing back then? Like, was it all the craziness that, that is going on as of 2016?
0: No, 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 no. There was no pressure involved because, you know, it was, like you said, I was a privateer. Um, I mean, I feel bad for saying this, but it was my dad's money, you know. It wasn't corporate money, Um, there wasn't much sponsorship, although there was, you know, tire sponsors and, of course, my sponsor too. But uh, there's nowhere near the pressure that we feel today in 2016. Um, It was way more laid back, a lot less audience, less fans. It was was a lot of fun. I mean, it's still fun, but it's a different kind of fun now.
2: It's on a totally different level, I guess, uh, than than back then. There's so much more involvement with companies and fans and everything else around it, I guess. But um, when you competed the FD season, the first one, where did you end up? Like in the championship? I think I was
0: seventh in the championship in the very first year, and Samuel Hubenet ended up uh, taking the championship. I mean, it was only a four-round series, but the following year, uh, the series started to grow. I think it became like five rounds or something. Um, But yeah, I I didn't feel any pressure. You know, it's not like I was intimidated by the names of Reese and Sam and Dai. We were all buddies. I mean, we're we're still buddies, but it was all doing it for fun. You know, the prize money or the purse wasn't that big. Um, Yeah, it was really just for fun.
2: Interesting how how competition... Can can grow to that level that as it is right now, and now we're going to get there eventually mm-hmm. in this story. So, how'd you get picked up by Ford?
0: After the first year finishing the season with our s 13 uh, team, Reese actually reached out to me, reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, Ford is looking for a driver. Like, would you be interested?" I'm like, "Ford, like, Ford, Ford, Ford Racing, Ford." And he was like, "Yeah." And then I guess they had told. Formula Drift, too. And Formula Drift reached out to me and said, hey, you know, you should really take this oppor- opportunity to drive for Ford Racing. And at the time, I'm 16, 17 years old. I'm like, are you sure it's a good idea for me? Because first of all, I don't, you know, I'm not a white guy, I'm a Japanese guy. <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna meet their uh, demographics or their target segment. So I kind of questioned myself. And, you know, of course, going from a private team like a family team or my dad's team to a corporate level team like Ford was a huge leap. I basically went from like zero to 100 in one year. I was like, man, what should I do? So my dad and I talked about it. He's like, yeah, of course, this is like a really good chance. It's a really great opportunity to step into, you know, the corporate world. Like, you know what, fuck it, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, we got picked up by Ford Racing. They provided us with a car. But it wasn't like a crazy scale sponsorship um, commitment. They gave us the car and we pretty much built it. What car was it? It was a 2005 Ford Mustang. And uh, we were the first ones to get our hands hands on a... It was a body in white, so there was no VIN number. But we were the first team to get our hands on a Ford Mustang, the new generation S197 chassis. Um, We really didn't know what to expect because, you know, as long as I knew what drifting was, it was all Japanese cars. It was all turbocharged four-cylinders, RB26, 2J, 1J, so when this V8 monster came up with a crazy supercharger, we are like, what? what is this? You know, I've never seen anything like this. We really didn't know what to expect because, you know, American car, is it really gonna be good for drifting? We had this whole image that it was gonna be heavy and not good for drifting, but we somehow managed to make it work. And um, the first season out in 2006 with the Ford Mustang, we ended up uh, placing third place in the series with One event win in Texas, a few other podiums. So it was a huge success. You know, it was great for me, obviously, because we proved to Ford that we were a capable team. I was a capable driver. But uh, being young and naive that I was, I thought, oh, my God, I'm the best. You know, I don't need to practice. I I can take out anyone. And that was the start of my slump. That's when... I didn't notice it at the time, but that's when I stopped progressing, because I thought I was a shit. Like, I was so full of myself, I didn't care about anything. And um, the following year, I think we replaced, like, 21st place in the series. I was like, oh, you know, it's just a bad year, like, not my fault, I blamed everyone else and everything else. And uh, same thing with the last year, or in fact, yeah, the last year with Ford Racing, I ended up totaling my car in New Jersey. Um, it was such an embarrassing wreck, tossed it into the first turn and I ended up hitting the guardrail, swung over, hit the front end and the frame split. So that was the end of that car. Uh, ended up having to do the final round in that year, in 2009, in our backup car, which is the very first car that we built with Ford Racing. And it was a disaster. But still, being stupid and young and naive, I didn't blame myself. You know, I was like, nah, it wasn't my fault, it was the car's fault. Uh, In 2010 is when uh, Scion approached RSR, or RSR and Scion had a deal going on. Scion wanted to really get into the sport of drifting. And uh, RSR reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we want to talk to you about possibly having you drive for us because they knew my contract with Ford was ending. And so I said, yeah, sure, let's talk. So I went up to RSR's office, talked to Ben and John, and they said, you're not going to believe this but they want to campaign a Scion TC. <laughs> right when I heard that, I'm like, oh, God, what did I get myself into? I'm sure you can imagine one of my first questions was, how is it going to drift if it's a front-wheel drive? They said, don't worry. We knew you were going to ask. We have a solution for it. So they had already done the research, and the Scion TC or the first-gen TC shares a common platform with the Toyota Vensis, which is a vehicle that's available in Europe, Japan, everywhere across the world except the U.S. And that chassis comes in both front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive, so their plan was to utilize the Avensis, or the Caldinas rear subframe, and uh, change the engine from a transverse mount to a longitudinal mount, so north-south configuration. And um, I said, okay. That sounds cool. No. But before even we got there, they were like, yeah, but we have different ideas too where we can use like a transaxle. So a transmission in the back, engine up front, you know, better balance. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I thought, I still thought I was a shit. I was like, yeah, you guys build a car, I'll drive it. That was the first year I drove with Sun Racing and um, with RSR. The first round was Long Beach Grand Prix. Uh we managed to get into the top eight. And this was still, you know, the time when we didn't have a top 32. So it was straight from qualifying to top 16. We won our top 16 battle, managed to get into a top 8, and at that point, you know, it was already a huge success because it's the debut round of the Simon TC that's been converted to a real drive for the first time ever in the history of drifting, and uh, we finished in the top 8. So that also kind of fueled my big head. I was like, yeah, that was all me. I'm the shit. You know, of course, without me, you guys wouldn't be able to do that. So th- this was when the car was like
2: gray and yellow. Or no, or was this the was
0: the first year of the TC in 2010. So it was the RSR color. It was red oh, and yeah, white. Yeah, yeah. With the, the big RSR mm-hmm. logo across the car. Oh yeah. In 2010, no, was that 2010? <laughs> that was 2008. Sorry, I screwed up this whole thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Should I talk about the whole thing over again? Or? No, no, no. Uh, you're good. You're good. So that's 2000 and... Oh wait. So yeah. So Ford, I was driving for 2005, 6, and 7. My first year with Sion was 2008. Sorry. So, just for the record, <laughs> my first year with Sion was 2008. In 2008, um, I can't even remember where we finished in the series, but it wasn't good. Aside from the fact that I didn't progress as a driver, we had a lot of gremlins with the car, as you can imagine. It's the first year with the car. I expected it that we were going to have a lot of reliability issues, mechanical issues, because we basically built that car from the ground up, straightening from starting from a straight shell. Um, so got a lot of electrical gremlins, gremlins, mechanical gremlins, and the engine that we were using was the Beams 3S. So we didn't really know the engine characteristics.
2: What, what engine is that from?
0: What That's from it? MR2. Oh, no, no, sorry. The Beams three SG is from Altezza, or IS200 in Europe, or IS300 in the States. But in the States, the IS300 didn't come with the Beams 3S, the Beams 3S was only available in Japan and Europe and everywhere across the world.
2: So no one had used that before, I guess. Yeah, so we
0: didn't have any data with the Beams. Um, we just heard that it was a great engine. So we decided to turbocharge it and throw it in a TC. It was light. It was aluminum block, 2 liter. So you know the car's balance was good, but we really didn't know the engine characteristics. We didn't know how to optimize the true potential of that engine. Uh, the second year with the TC in 2009 was when... You mentioned it was the gray with the lime green graphics it got a lot better you know the car drove a lot better Long Beach actually I remember this during media day at Long Beach in 2009 you know in media day they put passengers in the car and we give ride-alongs right well that year I had a passenger super buff guy in a small bucket seat and I remember coming around turn 9 towards turn 10 transition I spun and ended up crashing into the wall With the passenger, I was like, oh, my God, this is not going to be good. But he was laughing. He was like, oh, my God, that was great. You know, let's do it again. I'm like, no, we're not doing that again. (laughs) But that was such a disaster because, you know, when you drive for such a big team who's invested a lot, you know, sleepless nights with RSR, and I go out there and totally wreck the car in the first lap, that's not a good feeling. At least that's what I think now. But back then, I was like, no, it wasn't my fault. It was the car's fault. And still, I was blaming the car. Um, so Long Beach was also a disaster. We didn't finish in the top. I think we lost in the top 16. I think I lost. Oh, no, yeah. So 2009, I lost in the top 16. But that year in Sonoma, I guess everything kind of just managed to click. And we got made it to the finals against Stefan Verdier uh, But we had lost water. Um, the head gasket blew in the finals. So uh, I tried my best. You know, every team around us was very supportive, and they tried to fix the engine, bandage it together before the final round. And I remember telling myself, man, like, these guys work so hard for me. I should go out there and you know thank them for it. So the final round, uh, I remember following Stefan, and as soon as I pitched his sideways, the engine shut down. And uh, that was the end of it, but he managed to score our first podium with Scion and the TC. Also in that round, I remember, I think it was like the top eight or top four, maybe top eight, I had to go against Tanner Faust. This was his first year in the TC, so I knew that was a battle I couldn't lose. Um, Ended up winning against Tanner and then we made it to the finals. But that was our first podium and I felt really great and that was the very last event before Irwindale. So we get to Irwindale. I'm still high on that podium and telling myself, yeah, man, I'm the best. I can beat everyone here. Uh, Ended up losing. So, um, you know, that that season was good because we had our first podium, but uh, it wasn't good for my ego. That was probably the year that did it for me that really brought me down. Um, The following year, we changed our graphics again. A big X on the side of the car. It was red. Uh, every round was a disaster. I mean, I felt so bad from my RSR team now that I think about it. But like every time something happened, I would throw a fit, throw my helmet, you know, kick the car, and really like go online and just like, you know, talk a lot of nonsense. Like, yeah, it wasn't my fault. it was some it was the car, it was mechanical issues. So that continued for two years until I couldn't take it and I said, Hey, you know what, like we gotta do something. And they were like, Oh, well. Uh, we're actually gonna change teams. And that was when we debuted the Scion FRS for the first time. Um, oh
2: wow.
0: In 2011. Yeah, 2011 was the first year I was with Grady. So end of 2010 they told me, yeah, you're not gonna be with RSR anymore. I'm like, oh well that's kinda sad, but hey, if that's what you guys say, then that's what you guys say. End of 2010, I had given had been given the news that I was going to be in a new car, Scion FRS, it's rear wheel drive right off the bat so we don't have to convert it from a front wheel drive. Uh, it's going to be a Scion's new sports car, Scion's new iconic car. I was very excited that we were going to be working with great Performance. I think that was when I started to realize, you know what? Maybe I'm not a good driver because I felt so bad for RSR. They put so much work, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, so many hours into making sure the car was right for me. And every time something happened, I didn't blame myself. I blamed them and the team. And that's when I realized, like, I got to work on myself, and it was perfect. It was a perfect opportunity because you know it was starting off fresh with a new team, new car, and I really vowed to myself that I would make things right. The first year with the FRS, we went with the EJ twenty-five, our Subaru Impreza engine that was built by Cosworth. We did a lot of the R and D here. Now we again, like, here's the thing: like, I every time I started in a new car, it was a car. That's never been in drift. So we were, the, we were the guinea pigs. We were the test bed of all these cars. Started from the Mustang, then to the TC, and now a brand new platform again. It's the Scion FRS. So the only thing that I had to offer to the build was my experience and my uh, expertise with driving. So when it came to you know finding the right setup, I was like, hey. I don't know. You know, this is a brand new car. Like I don't don't ask me what to do with the car. Let's just go out there and test it. Two thousand ten where did I finish? I think it was I think it was eighth place in two thousand ten, which is great. First year in a brand new car and you finish in a top ten in Formula Drift is a huge testament to what the car can do.
2: So what was the like the the obviously the the, the progression of the sport was still going like like booming, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, cars and power, and so I want you to go like go back a little bit on mm-hmm. the the Mustang era. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the kind of power and and uh, the kind of um, you know setups and everything? How, how how tight was that in in the Mustang era versus the TC era versus the FRS era? Uh,
0: let's put it this way: If uh, my S13 had 350 horsepower, my Mustang had about 600 horsepower in the very first year so that was already almost twice the power and the second year the second year had 900 horsepower (laughs) and uh the third year was still 900 horsepower but every year it just started to get bigger faster you know bigger engines more power more speed better tires with more grip so it was a it was like a extremely fast paced progression of everything you know our driving ability driving skills proximity, the car builds, even the level of sponsorship and the corporate commitment that we saw across the paddock. You know big corporations like Ford Racing, um, Nissan, Mazda, and all these tire manufacturers like Falcon, Yokohama, Toyo. So it just got crazier every year and uh, I never really sat down to think about how crazy the progression was but now that I think about it it's just crazy because If I go back to when I first started drifting a 1986 Toyota Corolla in a dry lake bed with crap tires and five years later I'm driving for Ford Racing that's a a crazy progression to witness in person because I'm directly involved with Formula Drift and have first hand experience watching the progression of the sport. So every year not only did the Car builds get crazier. The horsepower increased, but the fan base also got bigger, and people were starting to recognize my name. I'm like, oh my god, hey, that's kind of weird that people are asking me for autographs. But that's also one thing that kind of, I guess, that put me in a really bad spot was I was getting a little cocky, thinking, oh yeah, hell yeah, I'm the shit. You know, people want me. That's bad. That's really bad. And um,
2: so, what was yeah. the driving like uh, in the Mustang area era? era? Um, like. There wasn't WiseFab around or all any of these kind yeah. of big companies.
0: WiseFab is more recent. It's like the past maybe three or four years where we start to see like stupid angle, crazy angle. But When I was driving you know, my S13 and the Mustang, it was more like, okay, well, we can increase angle by adding shims or spacers in the steering rack and extending the tie rod out a little bit. But knuckle mods and WiseFab you know, complete steering systems are more recent. So back then, if you got maybe 45, 50 degrees of steering angle, well, that was good enough. I mean, it, And angle wasn't really much of a factor when it came to drifting and tandem. It was more about consistency, like who can complete a lap without spinning? <laughs> that was more of the battle. And if you're doing tandem in the tandem rounds, it's like, well, who can not make the mistake? You know, If you look at drifting today, it's perfect, like door to door, every single uh, corner, but Back then, it was you know crazy gap. Like, all right, here goes Kangushi in the lead lap. Uh, here goes Kyle Mohan in the following lap. There's like a ten car gap, but oh, Kangushi made a mistake. Kyle Mohan wins. Oh, that's okay. kind of how it was. You know, it was more about who can consistently complete the lap. <laughs> um, that too, though, every year tandem starts to get closer. The proximity was starting to shrink. So cars were getting tighter. And, you know, drivers like Tanner, Reese, Samuel, Dai, those guys are really, you know, the pioneers of American drifting. They really brought exciting driving, closer tandems with crazy car builds. I remember Sam was like super consistent, Mr. Consistent driver in the Dodge Viper. Yeah, they really revolutionized drifting in the U.S. Um, They brought a lot of flavor. And of course, you know, at the same time, there's also D1 going on in Japan and, I'm aware of you know how much crazier or at the time it was crazier watching Japanese drifting because they're always close together. But we start to see a shift maybe around 2007, 2008 when I thought American drifting was crazy, starting to get crazier than Japanese drifting. Um, These drivers here were getting faster, closer, tighter on the wall. And uh, if you were to ask me today, you still think. Japanese drivers are better than American drivers? Hell no! Oh wow! No way! All right. I think the car builds are crazier here. The level of driving is equal, if not better. Like if you look at D1 or Japanese drivers, like besides Daigle and Kawabata, the rest of them are extremely conservative and they don't really want to wreck their cars. But Daigle and Kawabata would probably be more of an American drifting style. Like they're just balls out, bonsai all the time. Um, but I don't think any one of at least the top ten drivers here would lose easily, or you know, give up the win that easily to Daigo or Kawada. Oh
2: wow! So what did you say about the? What can you say about the tracks from the start of FD and into your first year with the FRS? Like. The tracks also progressed, I guess, with the speeds and, and how the clips were and everything.
0: Yeah. And so, additional
2: tracks as well.
0: Yeah, so let's compare the first year of Road Atlanta to Road Atlanta in 2015. The first year was, you know, the star line was a little bit lower, closer to turn A, uh, Turn 10, 10A. It was first gear, second gear.
1: There's never been a faster or
0: easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: And maybe third year (laughs) faint and an e-break really slow, going up towards turn 10B, transition, and instead of going all the way up towards the P, we made the immediate right into the P from the lower side, transition and make the left turn around the P and come downhill from the exit of the P on the north side towards back, back towards turn 10B. That would be the completion of the course. Uh, but it was so slow that at the exit of the P, instead of making it one long drift, some of, that, some of the drivers had to do a little flick in the middle just to connect the corners. And they're still getting points for it. But I, I remember telling myself, man, I really want to connect that turn from the exit of the horseshoe all the way back to turn 10. So I remember banging off the rev limiter in second gear, just like doing whatever it took to connect that in one shot. And that's what got me to first place qualify back in 2004 was I was one of of the only few, maybe two or three drivers that made it in one long trip. Now it's a lot faster. The starting line is way up the hill now. We're reaching 100 miles an hour uh, on the straight before we turn into turn 10A. Um, a lot more angle with the help of you know companies like Wise Fab, Powered by Max, and a lot of other knuckle uh, mod companies. So a lot more angle with a lot more speed, a lot more smoke, a lot more horsepower. And instead of cutting right into the horseshoe, we go uphill, extend the drift all the way towards the north side of the uh, turn 10, going towards turn 11, into the horseshoe, and then immediate left back towards uh, turn 10A. It's it's for sure a lot faster. Tandem is crazier because you know you're following cars with thousand horsepower. We can't see anything because of the smoke. So one trick that I learned just recently, actually last year, I'm running Texas was if I get into the smoke, what am I going to do to navigate myself through the course? And I found myself, okay, what if I count count seconds in the smoke and then I'll transition. If I get it right, if I time it right, that would be perfect. Like I can pretty much do it with my eyes closed if I time it right. So that's what I started to do was as soon as I I would get into a smoke screen, I would count seconds during practice and be like, okay, one, two, three, break. And I would be right there on the door. That trick worked in Texas, um, and I plan on using it from now on. (laughs) But it's just crazy to see that because if you were to to tell me 10 years ago, hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of smoke count three seconds like are you are you kidding me like you want me to close my eyes or pretty much basically drive blind count seconds when i'm going towards a wall at 90 (laughs) miles an hour you're crazy but that's just how the sport progressed i mean we got to continually continuously look for new tools uh new resources and really trust your instincts to uh navigate yourself through the course because I'm not the only one that says this, but when you get into the smoke, you really can't see shit. Like it's crazy. So that's one of my tricks. Um, I don't care if you guys steal that <laughs> secret. But,
2: um, so, so talk a little bit about like the Sonoma isn't part of FT anymore. So, yeah. would you? Did you like that track? Would you like? I like to come Sonoma. Back?
0: I've had a lot of success there. I've had two podiums there: one in the Mustang and one in the the TC. You know, compared to tracks now, it wasn't that fast. It was first gear, second gear, third gear, maybe pitched the car sideways at 90 miles an hour into a braking zone. So, there's a lot of open space. Um, it was really wide and hard to make a mistake. So, I liked it because it was one of the only tracks where you can showcase you know, angle and commitment into the first hairpin. Yeah, I was really sad that they stopped going in there because that was pretty much the only track at the time that I had a lot of success. And I was like, oh, man, now that they got rid of snow, I'm like, where am I going to do good now? <laughs> but, yeah, if we can go back, I think um, it'd be great because, like I keep mentioning, the car builds are crazier right now. We have a lot more grip, a lot more speed. So going back there with the machine and equipment we have now would probably really make the progression of the sport obvious. Like, we stopped going there five or so years ago. And if we can go back and showcase what we are how we've progressed being be a, a, a really big eye-opener.
2: I think that would be even more crazy than Road Atlanta in terms of angle and, and, and that kind of commitment.
0: Yeah, because Sonoma, well, I said it was wide open, but at the end of the first turn, we had walls, so if we're committed to going 90 miles an hour, you know, completely sideways and backwards entry, it'd be the battle of the biggest balls. <laughs>
2: oh, Definitely.
0: <laughs> so.
2: Your first year with the FRS, Mm -hmm. like, that's when you started developing
0: yourself. Yeah, that's when I really realized, like, man, I have not progressed at all since the Mustang days, and, you know, the internet was big into drifting and a lot of blogs, like drifting.com, and, you know, like, I go on there because I want to see the results and videos, but while looking for videos, you also read comments. And a lot of the comments weren't good. You know, like, oh, Kangushi is overrated. Why would they choose him? You know, there's a lot of other drivers that deserve the ride more than he does. Like, he sucks, this and that. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, like, before that, I would read, I'm like, nah, screw you. Like, I'm in a spot that you can't be, so fuck off. You know, like, I'm better than you. But when I first started to drive with the FRS and I started to read a lot more comments, that's when I realized, maybe I do suck. And I really started to get depressed, even though I had this crazy great opportunity for driving with um, sound Racing, you know, Gretti Racing, and Hankook. And um, for, yeah, that first year with the FRS and even the second year, like, I really felt like I didn't deserve the ride. And it was really depressing going to Formula Drift, like, every time. Like, some, at, even, I remember this, like, sometimes I really didn't even want to go to Formula Drift because of how depressing it was at the events and seeing everyone podium and especially Frederick. Like when Frederick started to really do good and podium, I was like, man, like we're on the same team and he's always on a podium. And here I am like struggling to find the pace, to find, you know, the right setup. And... Um, so what was the first year? Like how was
2: that? the first year you competed in the platform? You drove the EJ.
0: EJ, we man. finished in the eighth place in the season, which was good, but like, even if it was good, in the back room of my mind, I'm still remembering about all the comments, the negative comments online, and I'm like, man, like, this sucks. You know,
2: like, and that was when the car was blue and white. Blue and white. Right? Was that the last year they did Vegas? Uh,
0: yes, so that was the last year in you Vegas. You had a
2: fire there, I think, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I had a fire against Matt Field, and um, what happened was one of the oil plugs came off and leaked oil, caught fire. Uh, What's cool about that was we still won. (laughs) But (laughs) what's scary is during that run, no one told me on the radio that my car was on fire. And I didn't see it. But as soon as I crossed the finish line, I saw a huge ball of flame come from the hood. And everyone's yelling at me in my ear in the radio, like, fire, fire, fire. I'm like, oh, shit, what should I do? What should I do? And I saw the fire truck running. I was like, shit, should I pull the extinguisher? I was like, wait, if I pull the extinguisher now, I'm done for the weekend.
2: And that's the system that is in the engine bay? Like Everything. space it's in the
0: cabin. yeah, it's, it's pointed towards me, engine bay. Um, so I was like, shoot, what should I do? Should I wait? So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to wait. So I got out of the car, and I purposely didn't touch the extinguisher. I was like, they'll, they'll get here. So as soon as the fire marshals got there, um, they... Put the fire out, and uh, that was probably the best call I made that weekend was to not pull the fire extinguisher. Although, you know, like you should always pull, or you should always be ready to get on the extinguisher if you see a fire. But I did get out of the car, which was the first thing I did, and um, we saved the car that way.
2: So, yeah, and that, what I'm getting at here is that what's the consequence of actually pulling
0: that? What do you if you pull on that, um, the halo, halon system, or halo system, halon system, whatever it's called, the extinguisher will. <laughs> I mean, it ruins your car, like it puts out the fire, which is good, but it damages the engine bay, you know, if the, en- if the engine sucks in that stuff, it's no good. Um, it also ruins the interior, I get dirty, and it just becomes a mess. Like, the cleanup is a mess. And for the most part, every time I saw someone pull on that system, they never made it back out. And that was the first thing that was in my mind, was like, oh, yeah. I want to go back out.
2: Oh yeah, because you, you had a shot at actually going further in the ladder, right, so... Right, right.
0: So I beat Matt Field in that round, but in the top... Eight against Conrad um, because we had an oil leak. The oil was, I mean, the oil. The engine was injured. It was hurt. Uh, I think we blew a piston ring or something. But anyways, we were down on power. I ended up losing. So that was a bummer. But it was it was a cool story and a cool picture. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, that was uh, that was two thousand ten.
2: Was Vegas a track that you liked?
0: I did like it. Um, one of the reasons why I liked it was because Vegas. Come on, who doesn't like Vegas? It's a party city. <laughs> but the other reason why I liked it was because it was at night, and the backdrop was, so we had it at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and at night, the backdrop is the entire strip. Like You can see the strip. It's far, but you can see it while you're driving or waiting in the start line. And I remember waiting in the start line, looking at Vegas. I'm like, oh, my God, that looks so pretty. And I'm like, go, go, go. Oh, shit, yeah, yeah, that's right, I got to go. So um, it was a very nice um, location, nice venue. You know, The fans were great. It was, not too far from my house, so three hour, 10 and a half hour, four hour drive gets me there. But yeah, it just didn't draw too much of a crowd, um, it was just in the middle of the summer, way too hot. Yeah,
2: I was gonna ask about that, like, the, how did you deal with the heat? Uh,
0: well, I drank a lot of water, that's for sure, but we had drivers passing out, here the oh, left wow. and right, dropping like flies because it was too hot. Um, during the day, it would get up to about... You know, 125 degrees, just like 45 degrees Celsius. It's crazy. Oh wow! Cabin temperature is like 130, 135. So it was definitely brutal. But you know, at night it cooled down. But even at midnight, it was still 105 degrees. Holy! Like, shit. You know, like 38, 39, 40 degrees. So it was. Uh, it was tough. It was tough. How did you deal with that? Like the
2: new, the new chassis, obviously, uh, has some gremlins and heat is nothing that you really want. Like, how did you deal yeah. with that with a new car?
0: I mean, you know, Gremlins, even, it was the same with the TC. I expected it. Like, I knew it was going to happen, so I was ready for it. But that's one thing that's bad about drift. About, I mean, I guess it's bad about motorsports in general, is if you have a new car and you have doubts about the car, or if, you're, if you expect that something's going to happen, it's already game over. Like, you want to go into an event feeling confident, like, feeling... Knowing that the car is gonna work 100%, 120% throughout the rest of the weekend, right? So I think that mentality that I had that something was gonna happen was what kept me from progressing as a driver. In a sense, I didn't have trust in my team, my car, or uh, my driving.
2: So what you're saying is that the mental part of it is really big.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll get there, but the mental part is huge. It's huge. I mean, having confidence in your team, having confidence in your equipment, you know, tires, cars, fuel, having confidence in your sponsors, having confidence in yourself. It's huge. I mean, if you don't have confidence in your driving, then you've already lost the battle. So, moving into the, to the next season then, mm-hmm. uh, you did Irwindale in tw-
2: 2010 and then going into 2011, what was the, the plan for, for that year, the next year?
0: Sorry, no. Twenty twelve, wasn't it? Yeah, twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve was um, the last year that we drove with the EJ twenty five, but we still continue to have engine failures. I remember Road Atlanta, uh, we lost an engine, and uh, we couldn't even qualify. And I was so bummed out, and so was my team. You know, like we all put in work. They worked so hard to make sure that everything was running top notch, but when you have a mechanical problem, mechanical failure. Uh, who are you going to blame? You know, you can't blame anyone. Um, and it's a really, really tough defeat to accept. So at that event in Atlanta, I was talking to Steve Hatanaka from Scion, and he felt so bad. He's like, hey, we were watching the top 16, and he was next to me, and he said, hey, let's, uh, let's swap into a 2 next year. That
2: early on in the season? Yeah,
0: at round two of that year in 2013. He said, uh, let's swap into a 2J next year. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm going to give you the best car, uh, your dream car. You tell your team how you want to build it. I'll support you. Sion's got your back. I was like, oh, my God. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about how you must have felt. Yeah, and that's when I realized, man, like, it's not me. It's not all me. Like, it's everyone's efforts combined that really makes a successful team. And I really wanted to work towards that. So that season, um, you know, the rest of the season was, you know, mechanical issue here and there.
2: Did you have ALS for that? Were you one of the first to actually ran that?
0: Yep, we were the first team to run anti-lag. I remember in Seattle, Seattle of 2013, Mm -hmm. we had we had an ALS switch. Um, Eric was my tuner then. Um, He was really good at, you know, setting up the whole tuning engine management system. And he helped us develop the ALS system. And uh, it was cool, it was cool, you know, while it lasted, but... There was a lot of fuss about it actually on on the internet. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of people talking, yeah, yeah, so cool, he's running one of the first actually
2: using it for for, for FD.
0: It was cool, but we never quite got it right. And that really came with, you know, a lot of throttle modulation and really how do you fine-tune that with drifting, driving characteristics, and we struggled all season to get it working, and we eventually went to nitrous. And nitrous was the more consistent, I mean, we call nitrous ALS in a bottle. (laughs) That's what we call nitrous or NOS. So that season ended and, well, before that season even ended, uh, we started the build on our current car, which is a 2J uh, FRS. Um, And that's that picture you saw on the wall. That was that um, product. So 2013 SEMA, we debuted the version to our our second vehicle. It was our Rocket Bunny version Two, Grady Racing 2J. And, you know, we created a crazy story around it. But at the same time, people are like, man, why do they keep giving this guy a brand new car when he sucks so much, (laughs) you know? But this time I read I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to show you what's up. And um, it was tough, like, you know, We went out with the, we campaigned the brand new vehicle in 2014.
2: What livery was that?
0: That was the, it was like a dark black and, black base with orange and blue and green. But uh, that's in 2014. And I'm still trying to find like the proper setup. But I really, really got myself involved in the development of the vehicle. So I was the one doing the suspension tuning. And I really had Chris from KW help us fine-tune the suspension. But it was tough. I mean, it was so hard to find the right setup, and we struggled all season. I even crashed a car in New Jersey. I ripped the suspension off, and, like, it was just so hard to see others successful. Um, and that was the year Frederick got second place in the series. You know, like, watching your teammate being so successful while you're, you're out here struggling with your team is really, really hard to watch and I wasn't okay with that and I didn't really give a fuck about what people were saying. I really wanted to win and I really wanted to prove to everyone that, you know, I deserve the ride and that... I think a
2: lot of people actually,
0: uh, in a sense,
2: stopped like giving a lot of hate actually because people saw that you actually were trying so hard to make this work and a lot of people felt bad. Like, they really felt bad for you. They did, yeah. You really deserve to do well, and
0: you don't have the package right now. Right. That Um, gets you there. But, let's see. So, I noticed that, like, a lot of people were like, hey, man, don't worry. Just hold on. You'll get it. Uh, And they were very supportive. But still, I still had haters. Of course. You know, like, but I didn't care anymore. Like, I was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to prove you guys wrong. All you doubters, just watch. And um, that year, I think I finished... I don't know where I finished, probably in the top 16 somewhere, but hard. it was hard seeing Frederick in the top two championship and we were nowhere close. With actually an old chassis that you used to run as well. well he's in the TC. Yeah. Yeah. And you've moved on to better a cha- new better chassis. Right. This was our second FRS, you know, supposedly better engine package, um, better build. I called it my dream build when we debuted it and I felt like finishing that year, not so strong was a huge disappointment and a letdown down to my team. So during that off-season in 2014, going into 2015, we really, really tried hard to develop the steering system. I mean, the car was great the first year in 2014, but one of the things that held us back was the drivability. It was super unpredictable, and I was basically muscling through every round, trying to fight the car, get the car to the wall. Um, consistently get to the other car's opponent, the opponent's door and it just didn't work like we tried so hard to find that right steering setup and it just didn't work so in the off season we really worked towards the steering and uh, I don't know if it was probably just me getting used to the car but I thought it was good I was like man, 2015 I'm going to make it happen like this is my year Um, fuck all the doubters just watch so we come 2015 Long Beach, like hell yeah, like I got this. Media day went good. Practice was good. Qualify, uh, qualify was okay. We finished in the top 16 somewhere, but like anything about the top 16 for me was a huge success at that time because we were so used to like being in the low ranks, you know, losing right away. So qualifying was good, and then the top 32 we were matched up against Jeff Stoneback in 2015 Long Beach.
2: He drove the S14. S14, it was yes. purple.
0: Yeah, and um, I was like, oh, this is gonna be cake. I got this you know and at the same time we had a new I had a new spotter so Ben we used to just work on my car on the mechanical side uh, Switched positions with Takeshi who was my original spotter but Ben used to drive in Formula Drift so he knew the driving aspect and he really knew what to focus on when I was my driver when I was driving so he was the best set of eyes I've had off track till then and uh so the battle happens, and, uh, you know, I noticed that Jeff made some mistakes, but I was super shallow, super far away, and um, I thought I did good, and I thought I won, but then I was like, yeah, man, you made a few mistakes, you know, the gap was too big, and they announced that he won. I was so bummed. I was so bummed because I went into Long Beach thinking that we had, like, this setup nailed, and uh, I was so depressed, and I went up to Kenji, who's the president of Gretty, said, hey, let's go WiseFab.
2: I'm just gonna have to read an ad here from our sponsor. It's in Swedish, so if you're a non-Swedish speaker, just hang on for 30 seconds and we'll get back to the show. Power bygger och servrar många av Sveriges absolut bästa tävlingsbilar och gatbilar. Och som generalagent för bland annat Mishimoto's Racing-kylare och K-Sport Racing-sortiment med coilovers, bromskit och luftfjädring kan Power leverera allt du behöver för att lyckas med ditt bygge. De har också specialiserat sig på tävlingsburar för både Time Attack, Drifting men nu även Rally. Så vare sig du behöver bygga en bur till din racebil eller sänka din daily driver så kan Power leverera allt från bolt-on kits till skrädd och sydda arbeten. A stort tack till som hjälper oss att fortsätta göra det vi gör. So do you have like a like a trick or a mentor for all these mental things? Like uh, the, the there's always someone that can, you can go for to learn how to deal with all these the the mental pressure or yeah nervous being under a race or whatever. Do you have
0: someone? Yeah. Um... A few years ago, I took a, or I sat down with a book writer, and he used to race too, but Ross Bentley. He wrote a book called Speed Secrets, and in that book, he teaches you, or the book teaches you how to you know, mentally prepare yourself, mentally train yourself, while also teaching you like, you know, racing techniques, um, approaching the right racing line, and whatnot, but he's helped me use that approach on drifting, so being mentally prepared, or training your brain, training your eyes um, before competition, and till this day, I use the same technique that I've been using since I've sat down with Ross. But um, one of the things I do to get ready for competition is I do this thing called cross-crawls, and that's basically kind of like jumping jacks, but instead I touch my right hand to my left knee, and vice versa, left hand to right knee, and that really integrates both sides of the brain and makes you more aware. Uh, it's a little exercise I learned from Ross, and I can't tell you that it's working, but I like to believe that it's working. Another thing I do is um, I uh, train my eyes by doing, like putting my hands together and just basically following the motion of my hand with my eyes and really moving my eye around to make it more flexible and aware of my surrounding, that peripheral vision. Because in drifting, like if you're only focused on the car in front of you and not really aware of what's going on around everything else, then you could hit a wall, hit a cone. And I really wanted to maximize what I can do myself as a person and a driver behind a steering wheel. So um, I do those. Um, That's pretty much it for uh, training before the competition, but you know, I run I run a lot and while I run I always visualize what the perfect run would be at a specific track so for instance before Long Beach I would go on and run I'd kind of visualize the perfect run the hundred point run from turn nine wall transition big angle to wall going towards turn 10 and into the outside zone to in front of the judging stand transition really close to the wall tight on the hairpin accelerate out that was the same run that I tried to. Mimic when I was at Long Beach venue, so it really helps because without actually driving the track, you kind of feel like you've already driven the track. If you play the whole perfect run in your mind a million times.
2: So do you think that amateur drivers who are aspiring to, to be professional drivers, they should probably do this?
0: It's, it's good practice. It's free. You can do it anywhere. Taking a shit, taking a piss, in the shower, you know in your bed, you can do it anywhere. Mental training you can do it anywhere. I can do it right now if I wanted to. Visualize what the perfect run would be in Atlanta. I do it on a drive home. You know, it's free, always available. Like why not use tools like that?
2: So it's more about trying to extend every bit of you. Like right. really
0: it's it's uh, taking advantage of free track time without actually driving on the track
2: free tires free fuel yeah, free <laughs> driving that's all up here <laughs> all right so just we've actually talked a bit about your Long Beach event that was last weekend and um, you did really well and you're now in this are you like the snowball effect are you looking to like really are you looking for a win at Atlanta or how's that
0: yeah so, our first round, Long Beach, we ended up in 3rd place, the last spot on the podium. Uh, really happy the way things turned out, considering the weather was crazy, it was unforgiving. Um, that was the hardest track I've been on in the wet in my entire career. And I've driven on wet, I've driven on snow, I've driven on, I've driven on dirt, rain, like, and I've never experienced what I experienced on the streets of Long Beach in the wet. And, you know, of course, there's going to be haters online saying, these guys can't drive in the rain. I'm like, dude, you try going out there with 900 horsepower in the wet and tell me how you like it. Yeah, it was, it was tough, but I'm glad we got, you know, third place. Um, it's a great start to a fresh season. That was what we were lacking last year was a good start. We started off slow but gained momentum in Atlanta. But this year, uh, we started off strong in third. And... Since we're going back to Atlanta, I want to really, you know, avenge my final battle loss against Odie and really take the win. Um, Last year, we didn't have a single win on the podium. All of them were second place or third. This year, I really want to win. So that's my ultimate goal for Atlanta. Um, Just staying focused on my end goal, which is winning the championship, carrying a really good pace with a lot of confidence.
2: And the rest of your year, both competitively and you also do a lot of stuff outside Formula D.
0: Yeah, so Formula Drift is actually just a small portion of my driving career. Outside of Formula Drift, I do a lot of work for Toyota, uh, TMS, Toyota Motor Sales USA. Uh, I do a lot of consumer ride and drive for Toyota, which means you know we would take a new Toyota product to a car show, an auto show like New York Auto Show or LA Auto Show and set up a ride-and-drive where consumers can experience the brand new car and we showcase the new features, safety features, talk about the product and also do a lot of dealership training. So when we have a new Toyota product, uh, we get all the dealers in that region together and I uh, set up a course and we let the dealerships or the salespeople experience the car uh, hands-on so they know how to pitch the car to potential sales um, they know one hundred percent what the car is made of, what the car is all about, the numbers, you know, the price points, um the competitor vehicles. So it's uh it's a lot of fun. You know, it's not it's not as exciting as drifting or formula D, but it's definitely keeping me on the edge all the time when I'm behind the wheel.
2: So you have to know a lot about the vehicles that you are doing the course for, I guess.
0: I do, yeah. So before we do the consumer run and drives or dealer training, I have Email, email to me, and sometimes you know they're, of course, vehicles that I'm not really into or interested in. Like, you know, I'm not going to mention any products, but yeah, they're like not the cars that I'm into. But it's always interesting because these cars have new features, new technology. I'm like, oh wow, this car can do what? It self parks. So this this last um, dealership training event I did was for the new Rav4 Hybrid and the new Prius. Well, the new Prius has this thing called IPA, like, IPA, is that India Pale Ale, is that beer? (laughs) Like, no, 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 no. it's an intelligent parking assist, essentially where the car finds a parking spot for you and uh, automatically parks the car for you. Wow. So I was like, wow. And those are the things I really find interesting is the new technology that goes into new products, the new safety features that tries to keep, you know, accidents at a low number. And Toyota's been really innovative about safety. So, I do a lot of that, study all the material and relay that information to potential cons- customers, consumers, and uh, dealership salespeople. Now, outside of that, I also do stunt driving. I mean, that's really, really minute uh, portion of my career. It's really small-scale. I've done a lot of work for Scion, but um, yeah, maybe once, if not twice a year, is how much I work on commercial work. So, it's not a whole lot, but that stuff is awesome because It's all about precision driving. You have to nail the shot perfectly on three takes or less, maybe. Like, first take, go. We want you to nail that because we don't want to see any tire marks. I'm like, (sighs) whoa. All right, let me do this. Let's do reverse 180 into a parking spot. So it really takes you to the edge and really requires you to be focused and concentrate and really on point. And I like that.
2: You've done some work with. Uh, I've seen you on YouTube, actually. Uh, with I think it's Rooster Teeth. YouTube. Yeah, Rooster Teeth. Yeah. You've done some work with them. Yeah, those
0: guys are a bunch of fun. Uh, they're based out of Texas and um, in Austin, but we did work with Rooster Teeth and also the Slow Mo Guys. Um, but yeah, we we know in the middle of all this chaotic work and precision driving, there's also fun shoots like that when we had with Rooster Teeth, and. Uh, get to cause ruckus in a parking lot doing donuts and drifting, but yeah. I think I've been blessed with a lot of uh, great opportunities, a lot of fun work, um, a lot of commercial work that pays well, and of course, you know, my team and my position that I have today with Formula Drift.
2: Are you looking to extend the commercial work part of your career? Is that what something that you, because a lot of drivers are, they, yeah. they start off with the motorsports, Part and then they realize, okay, this is only costing me money right. or not paying is enough. Uh, are you looking to like expand that or, or are you, you looking to do other motorsports? Motor mm-hmm.
0: My immediate goal is to win a championship at Formula Drift. That's my short-term goal, immediate goal. That's high on my priority. My long-term goal and my long-term plan is to stay within the motorsports community. So I do want to extend my driving opportunities to other genres of motorsports like you know, sports car racing, a GT3, or even GRC, rallycross. Um, I just want to keep challenging myself so that I become a better driver, uh, overall now well-rounded driver. Of course, with uh, stunt driving and precision driving, that I can do when I'm even well later on in my years, so that's my long-term goal is to stay in the automotive industry, motorsports, and performance driving. Um, the one thing I do tell myself about drifting is that it's a, it's a young person's sport, right? So I don't want to be that 40-year-old, 50-year-old competing against guys like Alec Honodale when they're 21 years old. I to To help the sport grow, eventually the older drivers have to take a step down.
2: That's an interesting take on it. Like, Sam is not very... Young and he wasn't even back then, right? No. So it's interesting, like, if he would have stayed in Formula Drift, would he have been
0: like... Oh, Oh, no, no, no. As a young driver, I really liked having guys like Sam in the series because he's such a great driver. And having great drivers like Sam really develops your driving style too. That's the way I looked at it. But now that I'm going towards that age, for the overall package, the bigger picture of the sport of drifting. I think it's a sport for young people, the young market, young drivers, and there's going to be a time where I tell myself, I'm too old for this, you know, I'm too old to be uh, competing against Alec Conradale, <laughs> or the young drivers, and I think part of that is because I've been in drifting since day one of Formula Drift. I've been in it for 13 years now, and I've, I've seen the sport grow, I've seen, You know, the drivers grow. I've seen drivers leaving the sport, and I don't want to think about it now, but ultimately in five, six, seven years, I'll be in that position where I ask myself, am I too old now? At that point, I'll find something else to do, but as of right now, I still don't have a championship, so that's really high on my priority list. So it's, it's, it's
2: been a real pleasure just visiting the Gritty shop and everything, sitting down, just getting actually to know you. Mm. And if you would like to say something to our listeners, like leave here um, saying something that could, uh, I don't know, pave the way for someone looking to be you, really, in the future.
0: Yeah, so one thing I really, really learned last year was to never, ever, ever give up. At Irwindale, or not even Irwindale, okay, so I'll start with Irwindale. We had three engine failures, and at any given point of that weekend, any one of my team members could have said, I give up, I'm tired, I'm going home. No, Let's just quit. But no one said anything. They just kept going. I watched it all. I I saw them work on it, never give you no. Yeah. And we ended up in the finals against Osbo.
2: Driving as hard as I've ever seen you drive, Driving I think.
0: Hard. It was um it was a great lesson to be learned, um, to never give up. Even after my countless one more times in Texas, never give up. After my ten years of a slump, not knowing where I am in the sport, always seeing, you know, my fellow competitors successful, uh, I never gave up. That's one thing I want everyone to Remember, is to never give up on your dreams.
2: So where can we keep up with you to, to be part of the Grady Racing or Kangushi program?
0: Um, I mean, you know, the typical social media stuff, you can follow me on Instagram, it's kangushi, one word, facebook.com uh, forward slash kangushi. Uh, Scion Racing has a blog, or no, it's SR by Toyota has a blog. Grady Racing, we have a blog. Uh, you guys can go Facebook, send me messages, questions, ask me for advice. Uh, or follow me on Instagram anything typical social media stuff
2: and they also a video series about you from SR yeah
0: so SR by Toyota uh, has a series called driven to drift we're on our ninth eighth season that's a lot of seasons yeah. <laughs> anyway we have a we've we have a series called driven to drift on YouTube Um, you can access that toward um, from you can access that from the Scion Racing blog or SR by Toyota blog. But yeah, just uh, look, be on the lookout for the new episodes after every round. And I'm sure Frederick and I, or Frederick, Ryan, Turk and I will try our hardest to keep keep it exciting. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so
2: much for sitting down and doing this. Yeah, um, thank you. I just can't wait to see what's going to happen for 2016. Thanks.